You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Well, hey, we started... Uh, last week, a brand new series called Stranger Things, and we're still in that series. And if you're a huge Netflix fan and you're a Stranger Things fan, that's great. If you're not, you're going to be okay because we're not spending a lot of time talking about uh, the series. But one of the things that stuck out to me from the series is this idea of being uh, fighting against the darkness, uh, fighting against the despair, fighting against the brokenness, fighting against the hurt that exists in the upside down. And the reality is is that I think every single one of us has the opportunity or at least the capability to get upside down in our lives. We can get upside down in our relationships. We can get upside down in our finances. We can get upside down in the way we we use our time. We can just get upside down even even just in the the darkness and the the depths of our heart. There's things that can get upside down. And what we talked about last week is the good news is that Jesus leads us out of the upside down. In fact, what Jesus tells us is that he leads us to life, an abundant life. Now, our theme verse for this whole series has been Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. We'll put it up on the screen for you, where Jesus gives you and he gives me an invitation. He says it this way. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus says there's a common way, a popular way, an easy way that will lead us to destruction. That it might be popular, everybody might be doing it, there might be New York bestsellers written about that way, but ultimately it leads to destruction. And Jesus says there's a better way, and he gives us an invitation to enter in through him, through Christ alone, into a way that would be good for us. It's more difficult. It's not as popular. We might have to learn to die to ourselves a a little bit, but the reality is that Jesus says he can lead us out of the upside down, out of the darkness, out of the despair, and into life. And so I I don't know about you, but for me, I I just think life is the way to go. Like, I I don't want to live in the upside down. I I don't want to live in the hurt and the despair in the darkness. Like when Jesus says that he can lead us to life, I want to know what that life is. I want to know how to obtain that life in Jesus. And when I think Jesus talks about giving us life, I don't just think he's talking about eternal life, although eternal life is going to be awesome and I look forward to eternity. I think Jesus is also talking about abundant life here and now and today. And see, as we were thinking about it, I think one of the biggest areas in our lives, where we can get upside down, is when it comes to unforgiveness. Now, we have to talk about this, right? Because no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, no matter what your last name is, uh, every single one of us have similar experiences. See, I think if we took a poll, we'd get a 100% response on this. In your life and in my life, I know in my life, I have been hurt by people And I know that I'm guilty of hurting people. See, forgiveness is a really big deal. And forgiveness is such a big deal because the reality is that you have the potential to hurt me and I have the potential to hurt you. In fact, I would go as far enough to say this, is if we do life together long enough, eventually we will hurt one another. 
that, that somebody will say something that they never meant to hurt you, but it, it does hurt you. Somebody will do something and you'll interpret it away or, or, or there'll just be some conflict. See, I've hurt people and people have hurt me and, and you've hurt people and people have hurt you. And see, what we do with those hurts, what we do with that sting, what we do with that conflict matters. In fact, I think this is why it's so important that we understand what the scripture has to say. Because if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, where, where the, the creation of the world is explored, where it talks about God creating everything, which we believe. And that God created man, which we believe. That God created woman, which we believe. That God breathed his breath and gave us life, which we believe. But then they sinned against God. They rebelled against God. And we don't have to get very far in the Bible to see that one of the main effects of sin in your life and my life is that hurting people hurt people. Like we only have to get a few chapters into the book of Genesis where we see one brother kill another brother out of jealousy. See, hurting people will always hurt people. And the reality is, is I know that this is a difficult topic to talk about because even just talking about it, Many of us have hurts, we have wounds that, that they just kind of rise to the surface. You go, man, that's really raw. Like, you don't know the pain, you, you, don't, you don't know the consequence, you don't, you don't know what happened, and you're right, I don't know the whole story. But I know that every single one of us probably holds with us hurts. Every single one of us probably has scars and wounds that have been caused by other people. And if we're completely honest... Odds are we've maybe caused some scars and we've maybe caused some wounds that other people carry with them. And see, I don't want to take away your hurt because I would believe in a room this size that there's probably some significant offenses and significant hurts. Maybe somebody made a choice for you that wasn't theirs to make, but it changed the course of your life. Maybe you were a victim. Somebody did something to you they never should have done. Maybe you've got some hurts and some wounds, and listen, those are real, and those are valid, and no one's here to diminish those or try to take those away from you. However, I do think what Jesus is going to tell us today is he speaks into your life, into my life, and says that when we choose not to forgive, when we choose unforgiveness, we actually get upside down in our lives. In fact, I would go as far to say it this way. I really do believe that unforgiveness will rob us of our hope, will rob us of our peace, will rob us of our joy, and ultimately will destroy the work of God in us. Unforgiveness will destroy our joy, our hope, and our peace, and will ultimately destroy the work of God in us. There's this really interesting conversation in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, there's all these kind of interesting conversations that have been happening, and it starts with, if you want to go home and, and read your Bible, that Matthew 18 starts with a conversation that some of the disciples have with Jesus, and they want to know who the greatest disciple is going to be. Hey, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest? Of all, of all of us 12, who do you love the most? Who do you like the most? Who do you talk about the most? And which of us will have the greatest title? 
Now just imagine for a second, if you're part of that conversation, uh, if you're not the one, your feelings are a little hurt, aren't you? Like, it's like being the last kid picked on the kickball team. Like, your feelings are, you're glad you're picked, but you're still the last one. And so there's this whole conversation, and Jesus addresses that, and this whole conversation leads into this idea of forgiveness, the idea of what do we do when people hurt us? What do we do when we're wounded? What do we do when we're carrying around the hurts of other people? And Peter asks a question, and I love this because I think the scripture is so real, and I think it speaks so specifically to your life and my life. That Jesus and Peter have this conversation, and here's what Peter says, because I've at least asked this before, my guess is you have too. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. The scripture says, Then Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Here's Peter's question. Peter's question is, hey, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Now, I want to give you a little bit of insight into what Peter's really saying here. According to Jewish tradition, you would forgive somebody three times. So if you forgave somebody for the same thing three times, according to Old Testament Jewish tradition, I'm not saying it was biblical, I'm just saying it was tradition, on the fourth time you could say, hey, bro, you know what? Forgiven you three times, I'm not forgiving you this time because it's time number four. So what Peter does is he multiplies it by two and adds one, thinking he's being very, very generous. Like, hey, Jesus, uh, you've heard it said that it's three times, but what if I forgive somebody seven times? Uh, on the eighth time, do I get to tell them to take a hike? Do I get to take, tell them that they can go somewhere they don't want to go? Like, when do I get to tell them no? It, and Jesus responds this way. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times, seven times. Now, for those of you math whiz, that's 490. I know because I did it on the calculator. Now, here's what Jesus isn't saying. Jesus isn't saying you keep score, and when you get to 491, ejecto cito, they're gone. In fact, what Jesus does is he, he begins to address Peter's question. And see, I think at the heart of Peter's question, I think, I think that, that, that Peter put on his church clothes and he asked a question in a really way, way that seems spiritual. But here's Peter's real question. Jesus, when is it okay for me not to forgive somebody? Jesus, under what circumstances, under what parameters, and what scenario could I get your blessing, your approval, or your permission to say no to forgiveness? And Jesus does what Jesus does best. And he begins to address Peter's question with a story. In fact, what Jesus does is tells a parable. A, a parable is a story with a point. A, a parable is a story that reveals deep spiritual truth. In fact, quite often what Jesus would do is he would tell a parable and then Jesus would tell the people who understood the parable that the Spirit of God was working inside of them so that they could understand the parable because other times other people would walk away confused. And so Jesus wanting to answer the question of when is it okay not to forgive begins to tell a story. Now I want you to get this. This is a story. Now this is Jesus' story. So let's, let's just assume for a second that because Jesus is the author of this story, he knows exactly what he's saying, that every detail matters, 
that he didn't say anything flippantly, he didn't say anything thoughtlessly, that each little detail reveals us to a big, deep spiritual truth. And also remember that this is just a story, okay? Because we'll emotionally get engaged in this and be like, oh, and it's like, no, 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 it's just a story. So this is how Jesus begins to address Peter's question. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who was owed 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. Now, for us to really understand the story, we first have to answer the question of who is the king in the story. And so I want you to see this, that the king in the story is God. God is the king. So Jesus begins to tell the spiritual story. So he's talking about God the Father, because this is what he says, right? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. So he's going, hey, I want to give you some insight into how, how your heavenly father thinks. I want to give you some insight that there's a kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven has a king. And so Jesus begins to tell the story. And he says, one day the king calls all his people in to settle their accounts, and there comes a man before the king who owes 10,000 talents. Now, initially, we were like, okay, no big deal, 10,000 talents. I don't know what talents are. So here's the second thing we have to understand. In Jesus' time to his audience, 10,000 talents was a debt that is not payable. Okay? This, payable, this is a debt that is too big to pay. Um, maybe, maybe we'll frame it up this way. Uh, any of you play uh, games on your cell phone? Anybody have apps on your cell phone? You play some games? You can put your hands up. Don't be ashamed. It's okay. So there's two of us. Okay? The rest of you are liars. Anyway, um, so, so, you know, there's, there's games. And what's interesting about games on our cell phones is there's in-app purchases. You know? So you can get a free game that has in-app purchases. And the reason I remember this story is because a group of my friends uh, several years ago all got into Clash of Clans. And so uh, we all played Clash of Clans together on our, our iPhones, which was great because it was fun. You know, you could kind of just do it uh, in your spare time. Uh, we could communicate with one another, and, and it, was, it, was a good, it was a good time. It was kind of fun. Uh, although I would just tell you that I was like the leisurely Clash of Clans player. Like, I just wanted to get the dragons, and then once I got the dragons, I was kind of out. Like that's, I just wanted to be the master and the commander of some dragons. But the, friend, the group of friend of mine were like, they were in it to win it. And they made an update on Clash of Clans where you could begin to fight against other clans. And that's when I tapped out because like, these guys wanted to have meetings and they wanted to strategize and they would like critique your battles. And I just wasn't in it because I just wanted to drop my dragons and see what would happen. And see, the reason I bring that up is because about the time I was playing Clash of Clans, uh, people were spending all kinds of money on Clash of Clans to upgrade because the game was free, but there was what was called in-app purchases. So in Clash of Clans, you could buy gold and elixir so that you could build bigger, better troops, bigger, better walls, and you could go attack people and win. And there was a story that there was a mother, this is a true story, who was on a road trip with her seven-year-old son. In an effort to keep her son occupied, she handed him her iPad, which also had her credit card information linked to it. So after a few hours on the iPad, the iPad dies, 
and the son hands his mother the iPad. They get to their destination, and she opens up her email and discovers that her son had charged $3,000 worth of in-app purchases to Clash of Clans on her credit card. Not a great day. Like, not a great moment. Like, hey, son, you got some dragons, but they cost 3000 real dollars on my credit card. Now, here's what we could say about the seven-year-old boy. The seven-year-old is completely responsible for the $3,000 that he spent. However, he is completely unable to pay. Like, unless there's something super weird going on, it's not like you could go to any seven-year-old and be like, hey, you owe me three grand. He's like, let me go get my piggy bank. No, no big deal. No big deal. I got that. Like, mom can't do anything about that $3,000. Now, if you're interested, she was able to get a hold of, you know, the people who made it and her money got refunded, which is why now on your phones, if you ever make in-app purchases, they make you confirm that you really want to buy it and enter your password, okay? That's why they do that. Now, the reason I share that with you is because this guy is completely responsible for his debt, but he was completely, utterly unable to pay it back. Now, I just want to give you some insight into what Jesus is saying. In Jesus' time to the crowd that he's talking to, if you worked one day at work, so if you went to work and worked your eight-hour shift, you would get paid what's called one denarius, which I think is a great word for money, denarius. If you worked for an entire year, your denarius would eventually get translated to denarii. And so if you worked an entire year, you would get 300 denarii. Now we just keep following the math. It would take you 20 years of working full time to make 6,000 denarii. The reason that's important is because 6,000 denarii equal one talent. 20 years of work equals one talent. This man owes the king 20, or excuse me, he owes him 10,000 talents, which would take 200,000 years of full-time labor to pay back. So when I say that it's completely unpayable, it's completely unpayable. Like this guy doesn't have the amount of time to even work to pay back. In fact, what, what Jesus tells in his story is the king says, I'm going to take your entire family. So if we just assume that that's a husband, a wife, and two kids, it would take each family member 50,000 years of full-time work to be able to pay back the debt. So when I say that the debt is unpayable, what I mean is the debt is unpayable. And so Jesus continues, Matthew 18, verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, the king, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now the king knows, what you and I know, is that there's no way he could ever pay back the debt. Verse 27, but out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So a couple of things we have to know about the story is that God is the king. He, he is the one that rules and reigns. He is the one that forgives. But the second thing we have to know is that you and I, we are the servant in the story. 
that Jesus is telling a story, and he wants us to find ourselves in the story. He wants Peter to find himself in the story. What he's saying is, listen, God is the creator and author, the giver of life. He owns and rules over all things. And what the scripture tells us is one day every single person who has ever lived and who will ever live will stand before him and give an account for our lives. And the litmus test for our lives isn't were you good. The litmus test is are you holy, righteous, and pure like God is holy, righteous, and pure. And what the scriptures tell us about ourselves is that every single one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that very sin that you wrestle with is the same sin that I wrestle with. Not only does it separate us from God, but because God is holy, 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 and we are sinful, there is a debt that has to be paid. There's a gap that has to be bridged. But just like the man in the story, you and I are completely unable to pay that debt. You and I can't bridge that gap. You and I can't make that payment. You and I can't get over that debt. It is simply unpayable. And so what Jesus is telling us in the first half of the story is that God is a God of grace. That God sees us in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, in our rebellious against him. And you know what he does? He forgives us of our debt. In fact, I think what Jesus does is he teaches us three things about God's forgiveness. Uh, Number one, it's completely irrational. That forgiveness is irrational. The kind of forgiveness that Jesus is talking about, that kind of grace is scandalous. I mean, because let's just be honest, there's something inside of us. when, when When it's not us in the story, when we see it as somebody else, we want justice. Like, well, hey, this guy blew 10,000 talents, which, by the way, would be equivalent of $7 billion today. And, you go, and he, just, he just gets off free? Like, that kind of grace is scandalous. Now, when we put ourselves in the story, we're like, yeah, yeah, I want some forgiveness. And I want some grace. But to think that God is a God that would just forgive is completely unheard of. In fact, I really enjoy movies, uh, and so whenever I'm, I'm writing messages, I, I don't know, I just think of movie quotes, and uh, there's a great movie called The Untouchables, which is not a great movie for kids, uh, but it's a mob movie, Sean Connery, Kevin Costner, and there's a scene where uh, Sean Connery and Kevin Costner, who are police officers, are going after Al Capone and trying to take down the mob, and it's a great scene because Kevin Costner says, I want to take down Al Capone but I don't know how. And Sean Connery says, I'll tell you how. He says, if any of Capone's men come at you with a knife, we pull out a gun. He says, if they put one of our guys in the hospital, we put one of their guys in the grave. And then he has this great scene. He goes, that's the Chicago way. And you know what's interesting, church? We've kind of let the Chicago way get in our own lives, haven't we? That instead of forgiveness, what we often want is justice. Instead of grace, what we often want is a pound of flesh. Instead of seeing people radically just forgiven, we want to see people having to serve all kinds of penance to make up for what they've done. So forgiveness is irrational, but number two, it's also costly. A pastor that I really respect and an author, his name's Tim Keller, says it this way. He says, forgiveness is suffering. 
that whenever we choose to forgive, we end up suffering in some way and somehow. And maybe to give us a clear picture of this is to be forgiven, how much did it cost the servant? Nothing. But how much did it cost the king? It cost him 10,000 talents. That's money that he'll never receive that was his. There was a debt that was owed to him, and by forgiving the debt, he also suffers that he'll never receive that back. He'll never get what was rightfully his, what he thought he deserved, that forgiveness is costly. That whenever we forgive, it will cost. Whenever God forgives us, it costs. That we were forgiven because Jesus gave his life in our place for our sin. Forgiveness is always costly. The third thing we learn about God's forgiveness is this, is that forgiveness always leads to freedom. Like I think follow the flow of Jesus' story. This guy was going to prison, him and his family, but then because the king forgave the debt, not only this man, but his wife and his children are set free. There's no more debt, there's no more consequence, there's no more payment plan, there's no more jail time, that forgiveness always leads to freedom. So Jesus gives us this setup. He goes, listen, listen, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who sees a man who owes him a debt that he could never pay. And the king, because he is good, the king, because he is gracious, the king, because he is God, forgives the debt that couldn't be paid. He pays the debt himself. But we still haven't answered Peter's question yet. So here's the twist. Here's where we get to the big point in the story. Matthew chapter 18, verse 28. He says, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him. Now here's the scene, because we, we don't translate this right. The guy who just was forgiven of 200,000 years of labor meets a man who owes him 100 denarii, which is about four months of wage. So 200,000 years versus, hey, I, I owe you a quarter of a year. And the man begins to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So the servant fell down and pleaded with him and said, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And so what Jesus does is he gives us two sides of the story. And he's answering Peter's question, when is it okay not to forgive? And see, I think what, what Jesus begins to lead Peter to is the same thing that he leads us, us to, is the question is not, how many times do I have to forgive? The question is, how have I been forgiven? The question isn't, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? How many times do I have to forgive him? And how many times do I have to see her, forgive her because we're going to see them at Thanksgiving and we're going to see them again at Christmas? Like it's not how many times. The question doesn't have to do anything with them. The question has to do with how have I been forgiven? Because I think this is where Jesus is leading Peter. And I think it's where he's leading us also. Is that the king assumes that when, the service, that when the servant experiences his forgiveness, the servant would also forgive others. 
that there's kind of this trickle-down effect that happens with forgiveness. In fact, the way we say it around here is that forgiven people forgive. That when we've experienced forgiveness, one of the ways we enjoy, one of the ways we delight, one of the ways we experience the forgiveness that God has given us is by actively forgiving other people who hurt us. Watch what happens. Matthew chapter 18, verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant? Don't miss this. As I had mercy on you. The king in this Jesus story meets the man who was forgiven but then chose not to forgive and says, shouldn't you have done to him what I did for you? Shouldn't the forgiveness that I showed you translated to be the same forgiveness that you showed him? And see, it's not rational. It's not the way of our world. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but what what Jesus begins to tell us is that the badge of the believer is forgiveness. That one of the things that marks us as people who have been saved by Jesus, one of the things that marked us as people who have been forgiven is that we would forgive others as we have first have been forgiven. See, if you you keep reading in Matthew 18, you'll, you'll see that one of the things that Jesus talks about is reconciliation. And see, reconciliation always takes two people. See, if you and I have a relationship and that relationship is suffering or is wounded, reconciliation means that you and I would get together and we would fix the relationships with the health of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that takes two. Because it takes two to make a thing go right. But when it comes to forgiveness, that just takes me. See, I don't need you for me to forgive you. I just need to forgive you. And if I, hurt you, if I hurt you, you don't need me. Forgiveness just takes one. And see, what Jesus begins to tell us in the parable is that we forgive as we've been forgiven, which means, which means, which means, it means that when we forgive people, it's with an irrational kind of forgiveness. It doesn't make sense. It means that every time you and I choose to forgive, it will cost us. I think this is imprinted in every single human heart, which is why we know when we've done something wrong and we go up and we say something to somebody that we're going to apologize, don't we almost start with, hey, I owe you an apology? See, the reason I think we all say I owe you an apology is because we know that there's a debt that exists. That when you hurt me, there's a debt that has to be paid. When I hurt you, there's a debt that has to be paid. So when I forgive you, what I say is I cancel the debt. When you forgive me, it says, hey, I cancel that debt. And see, forgiveness always leads to freedom. See, don't miss Jesus' story. When the servant who owed 100,000 talents stands before the king, he faces prison or freedom. And the king gives him freedom through forgiveness. But when the forgiven man meets the guy on the street who owes him money, don't miss this, he faces prison or forgiveness. 
But in this case, because he chooses not to forgive, because he chooses to get upside down, because he chooses unforgiveness, unforgiveness leads him to the prison that he was already freed from. See, when you and I get upside down and we choose not to forgive people, it actually leads us away from freedom and into prison. The very first full-time ministry job I had was at a big established church. And when I first worked there, they, when I first got hired, we, they gave me a key to the building, which I felt great responsibility for. And they gave me a code to the alarm system, which I felt great responsibility for. Now, being like the new guy and also the young guy on staff, one of the things that I almost never had to deal with was the security system in the church. And I was very, very thankful for that. But there was one evening that I was choosing to, to work late. And one of my coworkers had shouted up to my office because on the second floor and said, hey, are you going to be around for a while? And I said, yeah, I got some work to do. I'm going to be here for a while. And they said, all right, I'm going to leave. I'm locking the front door, which I thought was awesome. Thank you for doing that. So I worked for a few more hours, turned off my light, shut everything down, went to leave. And when I opened the front door, the security system went off. So what the staff member forgot to tell me is that not only were they locking the door, but they were turning on the security system to the church, which I had never operated before. And not only had I never operated it before, Whoever installed the security system had put the security panel behind a locked door in an office, which meant I had to get back into the building, I had to get through the main office doors, into another door, and then into a locked door to get to the panel. So the odds of me doing that before the fire, the fire guys arrived and the police arrived was slim to none, but I tried. And see, till this day, it's always stuck to me that what's interesting is when we have locked doors and alarm systems, on one hand, when we set the code and hit alarm, alarms keep people out, which I think is what we like about them. But the reality is, is when I set the alarm, it also keeps me in. See, I can't leave. I'm not free. I'm a prisoner. And so when I was in that church building trying to get into the alarm system and the, the police came and the fire department came and the senior pastor showed up, I thought I was going to be in a ton of trouble. And the senior pastor walked up to me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, congratulations, you're now officially on staff. He said, you're not officially on staff until you set the alarm off once. And I thought, that's fantastic. Somebody that inspires me in this area of forgiveness is a woman by the name Corey Ten Boom. She was a Dutch watchmaker and a Christian. And during World War II, her and her father and her other family members helped many Jews escape from the Nazi Holocaust. But for her actions, her and her family were imprisoned. And because they had been helping Jews escape the German Nazis, the way they treated them, the way they imprisoned them, is they put them in the same concentration camps. A Corrie ten Boom, I believe, was in her 50s when she was put into the prison camps. Her father, her sister, and her entire family would die in those concentration camps. She was released and later found out that it was an accounting error 
that somebody had done the paperwork wrong to get her released, that she was never supposed to be released, and she becomes one of the only women to survive the concentration camp that she was put at. After being miraculously released, she begins ministries. She begins right back where she left off, helping the Jews, helping the homeless, helping people who need help. And one day she was in a church doing what she felt like God had called her to do. The war, the war had ended. The Nazis had been disbanded. And into this church walked one of the SS soldiers from the concentration camp that she was at. A man that she witnessed treat people horribly. In fact, her and her family had witnessed treat horribly. And so she locks eyes with the man. And in her book, The Hiding Place, she talks about the internal conversation that she had between her and God when she saw that man. And at the very end of her paragraph, she writes, Jesus, I cannot forgive this man. So Jesus, give me your forgiveness. Corey Temboom then goes on to have a conversation with the man where she tells him that he, she forgives him for everything that he did because that's what Jesus told her to do. Corey Tenboom then said this. She says, forgiveness is setting the prisoner free only to find out that the prisoner was me. Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free only to find out the prisoner was me. But Jesus continues to go on in Matthew 18 and says, this is what happens. He says, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus says something, it's scary. There, there's things that Jesus says in scripture that scares me, and this is one of them. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus says, Peter, you want the answer to your question? The answer isn't how many times should you forgive? The question is, how have you been forgiven? And with the same forgiveness, I expect you to forgive others. Listen, I don't know everybody's story. I don't know all the hurts that you carry. I don't know all the brokenness that you carry, but I do believe the words of Jesus, that when we choose not to forgive, it actually hurts us more than the people we're choosing not to forgive. That when we set the alarm on unforgiveness, we actually make prisoners of ourselves. And that the greatest thing that you and I could do, the greatest way that we can experience forgiveness is by also forgiving others with the same forgiveness we've been forgiven with. And see, today as we gather, we'll celebrate communion together which is a great opportunity to really think about and give thanks for and to meditate on the kind of forgiveness that we've been forgiven with. See, maybe you're, you're here this morning and you go, hey, I'm not sure about that forgiveness stuff, but I think I need to be forgiven. And we are so glad that you're here today because maybe the whole reason you're here is because God just wants you to hear this, that he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. 
and that God forgives you with an irrational, costly forgiveness that leads to freedom, that God would send his son Jesus, fully man, fully God, perfect, sinless, righteous. The scripture says he is the pure, spotless lamb and that he would die on the cross in our place for our sin, dying the death that you and I deserve so that we could have forgiveness and freedom. And that when Jesus dies on the cross, our sin dies with him. And that when his blood is shed, it's like we are washed and cleansed and made new. And that Jesus is dead unburied. And on the third day, he rises in victory, showing that he is our victory. That not Satan, not sin, not death has victory over us, but Jesus is our victory. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.